very clear for me, whatever happened in a past life, I had some, you know, unresolved shit with women to come back and attend to. And uh, my path from very early on has been like, what is your relationship to women? What is man's relationship to women? What is the higher potential between men and women? Your life is going to be here, putting those things together. Hello and welcome, fellow human. My name is Zachary Stockhill, and you are listening to Humans in Love, a podcast that looks at culture, relationships, and personal development from unconventional perspectives. Join me as I dig into the question of how people like you and I might get more out of life and love. Thanks for being here. Hello and welcome, fellow human. Happy Tuesday. I hope you're doing very well. Today, I have an episode that I've been meaning to release for a while. I've been excited about sharing this one with you. Haven't got around to it yet. Today, I'm talking to my friend, Jordan Luke Collier. Jordan is a fascinating human being. He's the head coach at Ars Amarada, which, if you're not familiar with it, is an organization that essentially helps men have better relationships with women, with the world, helps men to step into their masculinity and be unapologetic about what they want and the beauty they see around them. The Ars Amarada organization is all about bearing witness to beauty, if I had to sum it up in a nutshell. It's led by a fellow called Zan Perrion, and he's a Canadian writer, he's a coach, he is a traveler. I discovered his work has to be seven or eight years ago now. It had a really beautiful impact on my life. I'm going to talk more about that in today's episode and future episodes. But for now, I was very pleased to connect with Jordan. Jordan was traveling here in Chiang Mai, and we became fast friends and shared a couple of really interesting, thought-provoking discussions, which I'm happy to share with you today. Today is part one of my conversation with Jordan, in which Jordan talks to me about his journey traveling around the world becoming better with women, stepping more fully into his masculinity, what he's all about, what his goals are moving forward, and a whole lot more. I really hope you enjoy it. A quick note before we get started that, as always, if you're enjoying this podcast and you'd like me to continue making new episodes, please go to Apple Podcasts or your podcast provider of choice. Take 27 seconds out of your day. Be sure you subscribe to Humans in Love and leave a rating and a review. Without any further ado, here's part one of my conversation with my friend, Jordan Luke Collier. First thing I'd like to talk about is, just for anyone listening to this, <laughs> is that your nervous face? <laughs> no, this is my, like, uh, you just love jumping straight in, right? Let's dive right into it. <laughs> no, pre- preamble is overrated, man. Let's he, get to the heart of things. He literally made me a cup of tea. I went to the bathroom. I came out of the door and sat sheepishly in my chair, and he hits me with a question. <laughs> no, he tells me that we're rolling. <laughs> we are live. Yeah, preamble is overrated. Let's get right into it. Well, for anyone listening to this who might not be aware, could you just talk about, for a minute, like, what do you do? If someone asks you that question at a party or something, what do you tell them? Yeah, I hate that question, mm. first and foremost. That's why it, I ask. <laughs> yeah, put me on the back foot. Right. Um, it's... 
because I don't have a you know well thought out script for what it is. Mm. But if I'm trying to if I try and give it my best version right now, I right now I'm piecing together, let's say curating a rites of passage for men to undergo. And the rites of passage is designed to have them dive deep, first of all, into their, their masculinity. But the common thread throughout is beauty and adventure. So there's lots of different rites of passages that people can do out there, lots of different programs for men. But essentially, what we're bringing to the table is, is a grand adventure for men who love women, who love beauty and love adventure and want to have that in their lives, who want to be fully expressed. And you and I have talked a little bit about this, but I, I find it really interesting. And it's something that I probably haven't thought about as much as I could. Why are rites of passage important? Like, why are you doing this? I think for me, I have <laughs> tried to create my own rites of passage. Okay. That's kind of been my life story as, a, as an adult. Let's say to actually make it to adulthood, you know, because I turned 18 and there's not really anything on offer. I mean, I finished my exams, I went to university, but there didn't feel like any grand transition. Um, so I think there's an ongoing sense. I've always felt it, and people talk a lot about this, that in cultures where we're from, northern countries, western countries, there's no delineation from you were a boy, now you're a man. You've now got the keys to the kingdom and you can take responsibility for your life. You know, the, the, the kind of light goes green, but there's no gun or no dancing women with the flags on the, on the starting grid actually announcing the fact that life is beginning. And I think that I have somehow wandered off by myself to find some kind of what we might call a soul initiation and I've had year after year of like homemade experiments, botched jobs, going missing in random places, <laughs> uh, ridiculous um, kind of lingering in isolation and, and pain as well, like not having any good advice, uh, turning to the internet, finding terrible advice. About manhood, about what it means to be a man or about women or a career? Or... Most of my questions have been about women. Mm. The career stuff um, was always a lingering question, but the woman one was the most tricky one for me. And the question about how to be a man, that was, I mean, that's only come to the surface because of, because of women, essentially. Mm -hmm. So if I love women that much, if I want love in my life that much, therefore, like, what is the, the, you know, what are some roles that a man can play in that? It's always been a secondary explore, exploration for me. Well, let me stop you right there on that question, on that note, because I, I find this really interesting. And, and again, you and I have talked a little bit about this, but I'd like to know more. Yeah. So before I, before I get into my, my main question, for the past few years, you've been working with Arza Murata. Yes. Um, and I think you're listed on the website as a head coach. So what, what does that involve? Like you have like weekly calls with like mastermind groups or you're working with men one-on-one -on -one, or if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, well, it's changed and evolved over the years and um, started off doing, this is six years ago, 
started off doing uh, like approaching workshops with Ars Emirata. With Ars Emirata, I didn't know you've been from that long. That's a long time. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. So that was, I mean, so I, how to talk to women essentially? Essentially, that like I've been coaching for more years than that. I go back about a decade now in personal growth, transformational coaching, yeah. building processes. But the Ars Emirata stuff was. Um, started off with the way of approaching and we would go down the street or we'd go into Starbucks or we'd go into a bar or we'd go out to a club at night and I'd walk with two or three other guys who were um, wanting to find an authentic way of expressing themselves to women. Mm. So it was, you know, there's a lot of pickup stuff out there doing, you know, their versions of approaching, but I wanted to, to find a way to help men hone their their true sincere authentic way of approaching women and showing them that it's possible mm. essentially so you you got into this kind of shortly after neil strauss wrote his famous book the game not too long after that right fair way after actually okay. yeah I, read... I think that came in 2005 if i'm not mistaken so yeah i got yeah. my got my little hands on that book back in 2006 yeah, as did i and <laughs> <laughs> read, read it through and was like wow this is incredible i'm, I'm totally going to put this into practice and in mm. a year's time i'm going to be amazing and then i looked at all the things that i would actually have to say to women mm. and go through you know the hats i would have to wear and so on and never I need an opinion on something. Any of it. <laughs> right yeah 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 yeah, yeah. I, I still hear from time to time I'm out in a bar and, and a guy will say that <laughs> and I just crack up with laughter <laughs> you know the, these lines long uh, living on yeah uh, really sure. living on I have a feeling that book for anyone who hasn't read it the truth is kind of um, the most perhaps mainstream book about pickup artistry shall we say um, Rolling Stone writer Neil Strauss goes on this journey to uh, transform from sort of a very nerdy cerebral um, very awkward young man into this world-class pickup artist. Um, and th let's just stay on pickup artistry for a minute. So one of the questions I wanted to ask you today, I'm kind of jumping ahead maybe a little bit, but when people find out what you do, say women find out what you do, yeah. there's a lot of negative connotations associated with pickup artistry. Whereas I don't consider Zan and the Arzamarada work, I would not put it in that category at all no but how do you no. respond when people say oh so you're a pickup artist it hasn't happened for years okay great. actually yeah. yeah and you know you asked me what i what i did as a head coach and it was only the first year a year and a half that i was doing these approaching workshops and after that it's been it become much more one-on-one -on, -one on the phone much more retreat based much more actually looking at the underlying dynamics like why do you actually want to improve with women what's actually going on what do you actually want um and very very quickly men admit they actually want intimacy they want love they want somebody who's there when they wake up in the morning and they can turn their head on the pillow and, and there's a beautiful girl next to them just that that sense of home it's much it's a much more pervading desire and the sex stuff is good, right? Most guys I work with, of course, have their bucket list of adventures and fantasies that they want to live out, and, that, sure. and that's great. But, yeah, I mean, luckily, because of our message, we attract uh, men with a lot of sincerity and a lot of heart yeah. and, and a lot of mischief, right? These are guys that want to have fun for sure, but, but the, the heart is there. 
So I got a bit of flack from women over the first couple of years, like, oh, are you a bit of a pickup artist? And I think there are women that were not quite sure about me. Mm-hmm. But the further I went on this journey and the more I got in touch with my real reasons for doing this, um, it's pretty evident most women think it's, it's really, really cool. Yeah. In my own life, too, I mean... And needed. Yeah, and absolutely yeah. needed. Yeah, especially now. Th- th- thank you for doing the work that you do. Where are all your men? And have you got any for me and my friend and my other right. <laughs> six girlfriends? That's more the conversation I end up having. Yeah, absolutely. Because, well, I mean, for a lot of reasons, I would imagine. But, yeah, it, it's... Yeah, I mean, men, so many men struggle with this with this issue. And that, that's been interesting for me, too, is like, you know... I you probably have a bigger profile than me certainly online but when i started writing about relationships and personal development and stuff i was a bit apprehensive about how are the women in my life going to see all this stuff and the response has been overwhelmingly positive you know once they actually see what i'm all about it's been it's been really really positive so it's been a very pleasant not a surprise but uh it's been very nice yeah um my sense is always like if you're actually in touch with your heart as you write most women in general will, will like it. Yeah. And, and if there's kind of some grabby, egotistical, you know, that's the flavor that shines through, you'll get hammered. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and people have remarkable bullshit detectors, you know, like, like, I think like we're also jaded because so much, you know, we see so much marketing and so much online marketing that, that is, you know, disingenuous and really manipulative and stuff. And you know, women have extraordinary bullshit detectors, especially from men, because they've been having to, they've needed those bullshit detectors for their entire lives. I think in ways that perhaps men haven't, you know, because we're generally the sex that goes out and approaches and stuff, rather than being approached ourselves. It's like, I feel like women, they just hone those instincts of, of you know, sussing out whether a guy is legit or not earlier and, and better than men. Sussing out the opposite sex better than, than, uh, than men. Although it does sound like a good, you know, woe betide the man who naively goes out there and yeah. doesn't have that kind of detector in himself. Yeah, you, well, absolutely. Just like, who, who is this woman I'm talking to right here? She's giving me all the signs and I feel very powerful and seductive around her. But, you know, especially in Thailand where we are right now, where, you know, the, well, there's all kinds of schemes to entrap, in, in ensnare. Yes, there are. Men. And you see that every day, you, you, you know, you walk down the street or I'll never forget. I was at the grocery store once and there was this, the saddest man I've ever seen in my life, yeah. this older, um, American fellow really out of shape, very dejected, pushing a, a shopping cart and his wife, I assume was just berating him. I mean, like just tearing a strip off him, saying that, you know, like he was late and, you know, he doesn't make enough money and he's embarrassing and like his appearance. It was, it was one of the most horrifying things I think I've ever seen. Thai woman. Or... Thai woman with a, with a, yeah, with an American, American yeah. man. Yeah. That was unpleasant. You see this, this is a conversation I've always wanted to have somewhere at some time, but, um, because a lot of men and I see it in our community as well, you know what, meeting women in the States or in Canada or in England is difficult because, mm. One, women are busy. Two, women are more, you know, masculine in general. And, and I don't feel that attracted or turned on over here. Mm-hmm. And a lot of men go to other parts of the world. South America is a big one. Eastern Europe is another big one. Yeah. Uh, Southeast Asia, maybe for an older generation, is another kind of enclave for a man looking for love. But you get out here 
even though you might have party time for a few years, the, the old habits, the, the places where you're not in your power, the places where you get blindsided by women who are much more emotionally and socially intelligent than, than you might be, yeah. um, those things catch up with men. And, it, and it's devastating to think, oh, you, you know, you thought you were going to come out to Thailand for an easy ride. And actually you got hammered for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you see it all the time. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it, it's sad. You know, it's really sad. And especially because it's like you say, like, like Zan says a lot of, you know, I've seen him in his speeches and stuff. It's like, you know, you don't need, you don't, you're not really looking for sex. You know, you can go pay for sex. You know, you can spend, you know, money on a prostitute or whatever. I think you're right. It's like most men, I think, if they're being honest with themselves, they're looking for something deeper. And even the guys who come out here who perhaps have had no luck at home, shall we say, or, you know, they, they no confidence with women, um, they get out here yeah. and, and they think they're looking for sex. But I think that, you know, obviously a lot of them are looking for something more because then they'll get in these really bad relationships or they'll end up with really manipulative women and their lives are over, you know, it, it's, it's, yeah. And this, this is, you know, needless to say, I absolutely love living in Southeast Asia. I absolutely adore Northern Thailand and its people. And I've, the overwhelming majority of people and women I've met have been absolutely fantastic. But of course there is that element, right? Because yeah, that's, uh, unfortunately the, the stereotypes linger on and a lot of guys come here just looking for easy sex, but you're right. They, they find something, uh, a lot, uh, darker shall we say. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there were the rumors. You first came to Thailand in what, 2003, I think you said? That's right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm sure the rumors were rife back then about, you know, because people snicker at me sometimes from back home or not snicker, but you mentioned you live in Thailand and sometimes there's the odd, you know, upturned eyebrow or oh, yeah. whatever. Yeah, go back home. Oh, it's, it's so us. annoying. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, <laughs> it, it gets, it gets very, very old, but I imagine that was pervasive. Your first trip out here. Yeah. Um, I was 19 when I first came to Thailand and I went down the local pub to see my friends from back home and I said, guys, this summer I'm going to go to Thailand. <laughs> and half of them burst out there, burst out laughing, yeah. right? 19 year old boys and they're like, oh, do you like lady boys yeah, then, do you? <laughs> you say you're watching the lady boy <laughs> And I was kind of like, you know, in that age, like, trying to appear cool and then justify no it's got really good beaches and the full moon part is really great you know if if, <laughs> if only you knew what it was really like but you know they all ended up coming out three or four years later they heard about you know the the, the treasures of traveling and they ended yeah. up coming out here anyway oh i mean it, yeah. it's it's gorgeous i think it's indisputably one of the best sort of quote-unquote tourist destinations in the world and especially for anyone wanting to dip their toes in the, you know, in the sands of, of Asia, I think it's probably one of the easiest places to, to land and get, you know, things, very things are easy. very easy here. You know, I mean, you've been to India, I've been to India. You don't have to go far to realize that it's not like this uh, throughout the region. Um, yeah, I feel so lucky to, to live here. Going back, you said something that I want to touch on something that I wanted to come back to. Well, I just want to know more about, you say about your, you went out searching for a long time, or you're, you spent a lot of time almost looking for rites of passage or looking for some, say, methodology or framework to advance in your life, to, to grow as a man, to get answers with women and stuff. I mean, how, how did you end up doing this work? How did you find Arza Murata and Zan Perian? What was the path that led you to that? Basically, yeah. if you could talk about that. Sure. 
in retrospect, it's kind of like everything aligns and it, and it was the perfect journey where everything clicked into place. But as I was going through it, it, it was much more uncertain. Mm. I, I mean, I went to university because I could, and my teachers recommended that I should, and my parents recommended that I should. And I came out with a degree in philosophy and psychology. Okay. And there was no route to anything particularly interesting in the career world in England. And I just had enough of being in that country. I wanted to travel. And I tasted Thailand and Indonesia and Laos, Cambodia on my holidays, extended summer holidays. And all I could think about was South America. Like I was just pulled. You know, some people say, well, some people find themselves pulled to a country. You know, there's a funny, if you travel in India, people say, well, how do you know when it's time to go to India? Mother India calls you. <laughs> you, you just know, right? In your skin. And I was absolutely and overwhelmingly seduced by the feeling I got from Latin America as a young man. And that came in the shape of um, Penelope Cruz. <laughs> it was actually Spanish, was, uh, but yeah, she yeah. kind of blew up on the big screen at the time and uh, Buena Vista Social Club, yeah. the, the Motorcycle Diaries, mm. the, the movie about Che Guevara, that literally was the final piece of the puzzle for me. And I worked a few months, saved up all of my, all of my money and went to South America, Mexico, Cuba, Guatemala. Nicaragua, Costa Rica, Panama, months on end in Colombia, uh, Ecuador, Peru. And I lived in Argentina for nearly a year at the kind of peak of that, Brazil, for a few months as well. And uh, I think on all my trips, I was having this conversation the other day, the, the, the main thing that I wanted, that I probably wouldn't admit to anybody at the time, was... I wanted to meet a beautiful girl and have a beautiful love experience. Mm. I wanted uh, sex and romance on a star-lit beach. Do you, you think know, perhaps that was the main motivating factor for finding yourself in that part of the world? Big one and a surface one. Mm. And, and I think a deeper thing was underneath all my travels, there was also the thing of when I come back home, I don't want to be the same. Mm. Like, I, I want to transform fundamentally in who I am and how I feel to other people. And also get a step up somehow. Like, a, you know, be able to have a more interesting life because of it. When you say you didn't want to be the same, what did you want to change? Either, like, in yourself or, like, like what? Why, why do you say that? <laughs> well, the first time I went traveling, I, I, I came back and was like... You know what? By the end of this trip, if I have a good suntan and six pack abs, it it <laughs> it would it would have worked because I could go back, you know, to the to the bars on the weekend or down the pub, and I'd be a lot better looking and mm. yeah, more attractive to women, I guess. But um, the South America thing in particular was, you know, that part of the world is very clearly um, exuberant and pleasurable. Mm. Like if you want to meet a beautiful girl that's the place to go. If you want to dance all night to amazing music, that's the place to go. If you want to have high octane adventures, there's a lot of that to be had. So it's like a playground for the young, the man in his young or mid twenties to go out and have those adventures. It's unreal. But for me growing up in 
Oxfordshire, in the south of England. Um, you know, I grew up with a, I guess we could call like an inbuilt formality and set of manners or caginess around people that I didn't know mm. or kept myself quite closed and maybe tribal with the people around me and didn't, it wasn't easy for me to open to new people. And what I imagined about South America is that this part of the world, in this part of the world, people are open, they're emotional, they're passionate, they're dramatic, they're in their bodies, they're vibrant, they have joie de vivre, they enjoy life. I want that for me. Like, that's my missing piece that if only I could. And I did this when I got, I lived in Argentina for a year, I came back to England and then I'd be introduced to women and I would, they would go to shake my hand and I'd kiss them on both cheeks and they would blush and go bright red and I'd be like, now I've got it, you know. <laughs> now I'm a proper charmer. Like, I, I embody the thing I was looking for all those right. years ago. Yeah. Right. That's, that's it's really interesting because it seems like I know... Uh, since I met you, it seems like we have a lot in common, but I think we had some similar reasons for going there. And I think we had some similar, very romantic ideas about South America, which I think a lot of people do, right? Um, that's really interesting. But so, okay, so you get there, you're living in Argentina. Are you satisfied with your relationships with, you know, do you feel yourself changing? Do you feel yourself becoming closer to the man you wanted to be? When I was in Argentina, yeah. so I'd have been 24 at the time. Hmm. A few things happened around that time of the Argentina trip, which was, <laughs> which made it a bit more complicated. Okay. <laughs> which was, um, I felt, <coughs> I felt that I had like without any assistance without the game or without any coaching like this is long before I got involved in mm -hmm. that kind of stuff but I felt like I'd really figured a lot of things out with women because I had so many romances on the road leading up to that point and I got to Argentina and it was very different the the whole let's call it courtship scene and I lived in Mendoza which it's weird man if you, if you figured it out let me know <laughs> well I, I'm very hungry to go back there because yeah. you know there's a the <laughs> Jordan's revenge well not <laughs> revenge is not really the word but there, there is kind of something I need to avenge back in Argentina but it's not it's not Buenos Aires which is a cosmopolitan modern city I lived mm. in Mendoza which is in the mountains and they said everyone in Mendoza was like why do you live here this is kind of the most boring of the major cities and and the people are the parties are better in Cordoba the women are more beautiful in Rosario and everything happens in Buenos Aires and here we're like a you know, we're like a mountain town and we're super conservative. And the dating was really like that. Like if you had a car, you could date women. And if you didn't have a car, you actually couldn't pick women up. Wow. Because of the sprawling, you know, the, the buses after dark are terrible. You're a young Englishman on foot, I assume. I assume yeah, I, no I had no car. The, car. the cars oh. were really expensive out there, <laughs> difficult to buy. Um, but the whole courtship thing there was really, really tricky. And I was getting advice from my Argentine friends, which was terrible advice. Mm. Like every time they gave me advice and I followed it, it, it was bad. Were they trying to sabotage you? Um, no, like they also were really struggling with dating yeah. as well. <laughs> <laughs> so it was on good faith. Yeah. Was, I mean, I remember this one night, like I met this girl in the park with a couple of friends and we spent... 12 hours in each other's company as a little group and she was totally into me and she said at one point 
you know, we asked each other where we're from and, and I said I was from England and she was like, oh, you know, my family wouldn't like that. And I'm like, where are you from? And she said, uh, I think it was Comodoro Rivadavia, something like that. But it, it was the town in Patagonia that was closest to the Falkland Islands. Mm. And that's where the Argentines lost oh. the most amount of men um, in the war with the English. Right. So she'd grown... that's pretty fresh. That's in the 80s, right? 82. That's not, that's not long ago. 82, yeah. So the Falklands, from an English point of view, is kind of a minor war but in Argentina is a big story mm. and especially in her town she grew up in a cultural stew of you know we hate the English that's just who we are right. we, we hate these people and so there was this kind of um like she fancied me and I was the the enemy that was a really hot tension going on <laughs> basically <laughs> Sounds like it. and she she was a beautiful girl and knowing what I know now if I had only just waited 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 um something amazing would have happened mm. And at the time, all of the guys were like, she's really into you. We can see the signs. We can tell that she likes you. You've got to kiss her really, really quick. Otherwise, someone will get in there first. And that kind of happens in Argentina. You know, you take your eye off the ball and a quicker guy will come in and swoop. Right. <laughs> swoop your girl from underneath your, right. yeah, underneath your gaze. And uh, yeah, I, I tried to make out with her really roughly and really too soon before the moment was ripe. Mm. And yeah, lost the girl. And then I was too, I thought I messed it up, right? So I was too timid to actually approach her again and, you know, kind of laugh it off and um, see her again and be a bit more gentlemanly about the whole thing the next time. Yeah. And at the same time, I wrote to an Argentine friend who was living in England in my hometown and he sent me my first David D'Angelo material. And that took me so off track. And when I read through that stuff, I got so... You know, I was having women in my life and that like put me completely on the outside of the land of women. It was mm. very detrimental to my to my love life. David D'Angelo of Double Your Dating Fame. Well, yeah, that was zero, probably zero your dating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is half your dating. Yeah. I think uh, yeah, I think that was probably the most popular dating resource for men for a long time. And you were saying that in some ways it still is. Like you say you've you've dated women, you said the other day, where their divorced fathers are devouring David D'Angelo's Yeah, I've seen David sure. D box sets on girlfriend shelves. It's interesting, yeah. Yeah, yeah and I, I think he has done some interesting stuff. Um, I haven't read W Dating in pff, 10 years, maybe. But it, I'd be curious to go back to it. So, you're reading W Dating. It halves your dating in Argentina. Is this, is this your bottom, like an alcoholic? It like hits bottom and it's like, and it's time to get help or it's time to, to try something new? No, um, that wasn't my bottom, actually. Okay. I mean, can, I, can we hear about your I, I had a pretty sweet time. My bottom with women? Mm-hmm. Or my bottom with life? Your bottom with women, let's say. <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, this is about four or five years later, but I'm back in Brazil. And I'd done a lot of coaching stuff. So I never followed, you know, the pickup artists were big at that time. I didn't follow those guys. I actually did some kind of proper coaching qualifications, mm. uh, building on my psychology and so on and started to work with coaching and uh, did a lot of work around communication, leadership, NLP, the whole, I had a big toolkit wow. and it was already growing. And then I went back to Brazil thinking, wow, I, I should be crushing it now. Not only can I, you know, lead transformational workshops, but I'm in Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> right where the women are just fantastic. Mm. 
And even still, I um, I was outgunned, outmaneuvered, caught short, didn't know what to say, was, you know, the nice guy programming was still inside of me running the show. Um, and more than anything else, I, I actually wouldn't just speak my honest, authentic truth. And... Why not? On one hand, I think the intensity to say, you know what, I really, really like you. You know, I was, I was seeing a girl at the time who um, was hot and cold. Later on, I found out she was actually unavailable, but she was hot and cold. And I was trying to charm her, trying to seduce her. But I would never just say my real thing, which is, you know what, I, I really, really like you. You're someone very special to me. I find you the most beautiful woman that I know. I want to get together with you just the simple that's my truth I wouldn't say it I thought I had to charm enough and then you know make out with her at some magical moment but but we would never speak the truth I don't know if this is like an English cultural thing because most guys I know won't speak the truth to women unless you know there's a few beers inside them and women to men as well so we have these relationships where you know that we've got a talk moment that's avoided as much as possible because the tension is uncomfortable. So I didn't speak my truth because it just wasn't on the map. Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. And do you think it was partly some degree of ego? Like um, you were afraid of the ego hit if she didn't feel the same way? Maybe. But I actually think the truth, like the truest answer for this is it wasn't, it was genuinely not on the map Mm. for me to actually just be honest about my feelings for a woman. Mm. And and that's why it was so funny finding Zan, because I met, I met him a couple of months after this. His message is, honesty is the greatest aphrodisiac. Your authentic self is your most attractive self. Just show up and speak your truth with women. And me and many other thousands of guys around the world think it's the most profound message ever ever wow i can just show up and speak my truth it doesn't matter what she says but there's an inherent beauty and i can feel satisfied with myself as a man because i showed up and spoke my truth that's like a groundbreaking message an invitation into a completely new life and then that's a good way to put it too it's an invitation into a new life yeah so we, you know, the Amirati who love this message, like love and love and love and adore the, the, the powerful effect of this message. And then and some, so just to clarify, what are the Amirati? Oh, so the Amirati are um, a ragtag group of <laughs> pirates and ladies, men of all stripes, of all ages and nations and parts of the world. And they are the men who have gone through a, a three month online rites of passage, essentially to actually start showing up and speaking their truth with women. Yeah. And just as a totally unaffiliated plug, it's really great. (laughs) The program is really, really, really good. But coming back, apologies if I cut you off, you were in the middle of making a different point, but I'm curious about what actually led you to Zan and how that happened, how you found yourself sort of in a workshop with him. Is this, is this after your bottom in Brazil where just things weren't working? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I, I bottomed out in Brazil. Right. I was in a nightclub as well. 
I won't go too much into this story because you've got another, you know, you're leading me somewhere else. But I was talking to a girl for about two hours thinking it's on. She was beautiful. She was, you know, stuck with me all night long. And another guy came in. He just walked in the bar. He bought beers for the entire table. He started talking to her and her interest in me evaporated. And I went to the bar and actually accused him of being a pickup artist and stealing my girl, you know, complete like... In Portuguese? Uh, in English. Okay. He, he was not a Brazilian guy, actually. But uh, yeah, it just felt nasty. And I went home and I actually went into my room and I don't think I came out for about three days. Wow. Yeah, 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 wow. yeah. It, it was just to, to lose, just to lose a great woman's attention as spectacularly as I did was the most epic, painful thing. And then soon after that, I got some money. The tax man from England gave me money from five years ago. I'd overpaid on my taxes. It was my 29th birthday. And I got an email from Zan at the same time. We're doing a thing in Rio. Oh, it's down the road. I'm just going to go. I signed up for it. And Zan, to answer your other question, when the game came out, I looked and my friend recommended me David D. I looked at all those pickup guys and I didn't resonate with any of them. And I heard a one-hour interview with Zan about four years before. And I thought, out of all the guys, that's one that I think is saying a cool thing. Mm. And it was four years between first hearing his interview before I went to the first workshop with him. And it was another four months. And then I was actually working like full-time on his team. Yeah. So what was that first workshop like? Amazing. Yeah. Still to this day, it was the most transformational two-day thing that I ever did. So, so can you take us through it? I'm curious, like what, what was it like? What did you do? So this is something that surprises me still even to this day. The night before, we just met with him and Hans, who was partner with him at the time. We just met them and I met the other participants and just the fact that we'd signed up for a program where men were going to share their love for women and explore this was the most exciting and liberating thing. Like the workshop hadn't even begun, but I went for dinner with four of the guys and it's like, you all love women as much as I do. You want to do something about that and show up with women as much as I do. You're as excited to be in Brazil and to be doing this workshop as I am. Yeah. That, that in itself was revolutionary because I would never sit with old friends and say, you know what, I really love women and um, I'm really shy about it. I never reveal my insecurities about that part of my life. It was just, I didn't want to lose face. Mm -hmm. And so to have full permission to say, wow, I love women and these are the girls that I've, I've, you know, great girls that I've had in my life and these have been my screw ups and this is what I really want. To actually be able to say that with a full boyish excitement that I feel inside, yeah, it was a total revolution. And so the next day we, we sat and, and Zan would speak Hans would speak, we did a couple of different exercises and there were some women brought into the workshop by the end of the day. The 21-year-old Brazilian woman basically swept in from Ipanema Beach with the wind blowing through her long curly hair, wearing these, you know, long flowing flowery dresses, mascara. Oh, and, yeah. oh man, the whole thing. <laughs> and it was like... I went in and I did this exercise with these, with these girls. I would never speak to women as beautiful as that in my normal life. Mm. And then to have the feedback that they really liked me and that they liked the way I 
talk with them and the way I was and the only thing that they would change about me or want more from me is just me being a little bit more forward and direct and bold. Hmm. And now you're actually like, I've never been to, to one of these workshops, but I've, you know, I've seen videos and stuff. There's actually a woman on stage and is there a mentor or coach kind of guiding you through like, just be more honest or, or like even improving your body language and stuff or like, no, not in this one. There were, there were two women in a room and Zan was like, I can tell the story. Usually I wouldn't reveal what would happen in this exercise because we would use it and we haven't done it for a number of years. But Zan was kind of like, uh, looked at me in the eye and uh, like he had a powerful influence on me at the time. I was a bit like, shit, you know, this is a guy who blah, 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 great, seduced a guy, very famous, traveling around the world doing these workshops. And he was like, looked at me in the eye. First time I'd spoken one-on-one with him. Jordan, it's, um, it's been good. It's been all right having you here this morning. Um, you brought a good energy. You're listening and paying attention. I honor that. But you've got a mission. And if you don't actually complete this mission, we're going to have to send you home. And, you know, I'd rather you succeed. But if, you know, if you bottle out, you, you can't continue with us. Wow. And, and he said it with an energy that scared the living shit out of me. Like, and he was basically. too serious? N- no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, he wasn't. But it was enough to get my, like, my whole nervous system right. on edge, right? So like my belly's shaking, my heart's shaking, the whole thing. I'm in, in my mind, I'm like, I don't want to go home. I really like this. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, I've I got a mission for you. Mm. You're going to go in that room over there. And as soon as you go in the room, you're going to know what it is. Mm. And you got two minutes. Good luck. And I'm, I'm like mortified, you know, the fear of speaking in public, speaking on stage, the, those steps you take to come out of the kind of green room to, to turn around and face your audience to speak. It, it's, it's like that on steroids. I mean, I did a few Toastmaster things and nothing compared to how nervous I was to walk into that room and open the door. And I open the door and I don't know what's going to meet me in this room, but I go in and all I see on the sofa in front of me is the two most gorgeous feminine brazilian young women I, I love it that's so smart it's such a cool exercise yeah so what what was the rest of that what was that interaction like? so i just stood there and i went in there and i just smiled my head off because one of the the nerves and the tension yeah. and then seeing the girls I, i'm smiling and then the girls start smiling and i'm like wow okay and um the only thing i've got in my head is listening to zan lecture all morning about speaking your truth. So I'm like, damn, now's not a time to kind of cover it up and act cool. I need to speak my truth. So the first thing was like, wow, what a surprise. You both look amazing. Right. <laughs> and, and I just, you know, spoke my complete delight to be seeing these women and they start shi- shining and smiling. And then, then the next thing is like, oh, there's no chair for me in this room. I have to sit down and be comfortable. Otherwise, I'm, you know, just going to be stood there in front of two women. So I found a chair and just sat there and spoke some things in Portuguese because I spoke Portuguese. Then I left the room and I'm elated. It's like the biggest, like the happiest feeling of my entire life. And the guys come out one by one because everyone does the same Mm -hmm. thing. And then later on in the afternoon, um, it gets revealed that in the back, behind the women which I never saw because I was just looking at the women, you know, stupefied by their beauty. Behind the women the entire time was a, a camcorder. 
Okay. So our entire quote-unquote performance was captured. And then we sat around as a group and just watched us all our entrances on, on, on the camera and then got a bit of feedback. Wow. Yeah. And after that, I went up to the guys and I was like, listen, I know you're doing another workshop next week. I know I'm here for two days. I hear the guys are staying around for seven or something. I want to be in. Like, I've got to do it. Like, I'm not ready to go back. I have to sit in this energy. I have to. And I did. And then, you know, nine days later when I took the bus back to Sao Paulo, I was literally transformed. Wow. And it was dating three or four times a week, every week, you know, having been on no dates for, I don't know how long, a year, more than a year, dating three or four times a week. It, it was just like a playground. <coughs> Nine days from zero to as many women in my life as I could handle. Wow. And see, I don't know if you encountered this when you were in South America, but sometimes you'd be in a hostel, for me, you'd be in a hostel or something, and people would say, well, Colombian girls are like this, Argentine girls are like this, Brazilians are, you know, like that kind of thing. Did you find, like, it was, you'd have to really adjust across cultures to communicate with women in the way you wanted? Did you, did you find real distinct differences? Because you mentioned Ar Argentine girls. and. Yeah. I had a, a few experiences when I was in South America that were not baffling with Argentine girls, but it was like, this is a different type of animal. Like I've never really encountered this type of, these kind of messages and stuff. Um, did you feel like you had to adjust across borders or did you find like this, this new approach, this very direct, honest way of interacting was kind of universally um, good? It's funny because that's a conversation that we had a lot or I, I indulged in a lot when I was traveling, <clears throat> you know, which country and which city in each country has got the most beautiful women. Yeah. Right. And, um, how is it different? And, you know, people will dissect that in a million and one ways. And I used to think it had a massive influence and it does have an influence on quite a superficial level. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I think a man who really gets women and gets the dance of romance or the dance of seduction, um, they're just superficial little technicalities, the cultural differences. Like, I mean, you've got to be aware of some things, but a man and a woman and the way a man is and holds himself with his dignity and his strength and his, he open-heartedly loves women and that's obvious. Women are going to respond to that across the board. Yeah. So now when I hear people having that conversation, I totally cringe. Because if you really get beauty, um, it doesn't matter where you are hmm. at all. Yeah, and pe people are people, right? It's such a cliche, but it's, it's yeah, absolutely. I agree. What's that Mark Twain quote about travel being fatal to prejudice of any kind? And, and I think it, it yeah, it, it, you realize more and more that people are people. Women are women, men are men. And I think that sometimes you encounter, at least I've encountered with, with women, for example, it's almost like you have to push through their social or cultural programming a little bit to get to the, the truth, of, like the honesty of the interaction. Like, you like me, I like you. You know what I mean? It's like, let, can we just skip the, uh, you know, the games and that? Um, so you go through this transformational workshop. How, do you, how is it that you start working with Zan? And why did you feel moved to go in that direction? Why did you want to? Well, I was trying to make it as as a coach 
doing stuff corporately. Okay. Like as a intercultural um, corporate trainer, team builder. I wanted to work with groups in that setting. And I was like, wow, like, you know what? I'm 29 and found, finally I found a field in which I can express myself. This is cool work. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I came back from that trip in Rio, I was like, it's way more alive, enlivening to talk about men and women. Mm-hmm. This is a much better conversation. And after about three or four months of just living my own transformation, I wrote to Zan and said, I see you got a thing in Bucharest. I want to come. And I signed up as a participant again, because that was my way in the door. I didn't have an invitation to be there, but I could be there if I signed up. And uh, there was a special meeting for the Amirati elite. It was invitation only, but because I could, I signed up for this thing, I was allowed in and I wasn't actually allowed to speak because only the elite could speak. Mm. And as a participant, I was, you can sit on the side and observe, but you're not in on the conversation. But I don't know. It was very fortuitous. Um, there, were, there were some guys there for coaching. I'd already had a massive transformation. I helped them out with the coaching. There was a lot of coaches there, more experienced guys. But I ended up putting together the entire workshop. Mm. So I said, okay, you know, we've got six coaches over here. We've got three students over here. We're going to go out to these places. You guys get together like this, this, this. And then, you know, we'll report back in a circle at the end of the evening to to dive into the learnings gained and I will facilitate that conversation. And and I don't know, you know, like I, I'd, I'd never asked the question, Zan, like why me? Because there's been hundreds of guys that wanted to be coaches for his company over the years. Like, you know, why, why me? Because he's very adamant that most people are really not a fit. Mm. And uh, yeah, I, <laughs> a friend of mine was giving me some flack for this the other day. She was like, ask him, ask him the question. It would be really beautiful. And I'm not going to ask him the question. I'm not going to ask him why me. <laughs> Get your fingers out. But I never asked him, but I don't know. I think um, I, I, you know, it was entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial in my approach. I was non-needy in my approach. I didn't dog him with questions about my own thing about women. I just gave and gave what I had and um, didn't get in the way. And it was just right place, right time. And later on, I'd find out right person as well. You know, my, I mean, all of my, all of my searching from the age of five, I was at a, a holiday park with my parents and there was a little blonde haired girl and she was playing in the corner with three boys and I saw her from across the room and my heart was on fire. I wanted to approach this girl and she was about five and I was five and I was too shy and I sat there looking at her for about 45 minutes and in the end I, I wrote a letter and I gave it to my auntie and she walked over there and she gave it to her but you know, I had approach anxiety at the age of five. <laughs> so like in different ways, the journey to find, you know, journey to women, journey to beauty, journey to love has, has been for better or for worse, my path. So it's, mm. Arza Murata is the, the thing, you know, you know, like one of the things I'm studying right now, um, cause we're doing a vision quest, like the upcoming program that I'm, that I've been designing here in Chiang Mai and, that we're going to roll out, that we're already starting to roll out. We're actually doing a vision quest as part of it. And there's a, there's a term I love, which is soul initiation. Like the, the vision quest, that whole process is designed to put you in touch 
with a sense of purpose and a sense of who you are, which is out of grasp of the conscious mind. Mm. So you wake up in the morning, you get on your computer, you take a few coaching workshops, you travel a little bit, you talk with your friends, you try and figure out your purpose. But it's very hard to do that when you're within the, the, the bounds and the, the, the limits of your ego. So the vision quest is a method where, where we can actually have a transcendent experience, a transpersonal experience and get a sense of like, okay, what is my soul? Like, what is the, the, the deeper life calling, the unique place in the universe that I was born to, to, to live out? Thinking mind can't get there. But it, it's become clear, you know, I've had some of these experiences, higher states of consciousness or so on. It, it's very clear for me, whatever happened in a past life, I had some, you know, unresolved shit with women to come back and attend to. Right. And uh, my path from very early on has been like, you know, what is men's, what is your relationship to women? What is man's relationship to women? What is the higher potential between men and women? Your life is going to be here putting those things together and did you feel shortly after joining Arza Murata and going down that path did it sort of just feel right like this is the work that I need to be doing yes and I've been in and out of that as well you know there's been moments where it's like oh this feels a little bit less right maybe I should look somewhere else and then I've come back in and I've seen something new in the message or my relationship with the community changed. Yeah. So th- there's, there's been bits of questioning and wavering and looking over my shoulder. Maybe these guys have got a better approach or maybe this is a ship that I should jump upon. I've always questioning and I always come back. Hmm. Yeah. And you've been with them for what, six years? Or yeah, six wow. years. Wow. That's, that's, yeah. So you've coached, I mean, do you have a ballpark guesstimate of how many men you've coached over the years? In this area in particular, women, sex, and dating kind of thing? It's difficult because some I've had for a nine-day retreat and it's gone extremely deep. Mm-hmm. And then I won't speak to them much afterwards apart from the odd email here and there. Right. Some others I've only ever met in a Facebook comment, but we've had five mm-hmm. years of dialogue. Sure. So, you know, adding all that together, I guess it's getting on for a thousand. Right. And this is... This might be a difficult question, or it might not be, but I'm, I'm curious about, do you see the same issues or the same problems or the same struggles or questions coming up over and over and over again with these men? Like, do you think, are there, are there kind of universal struggles that you find yourself addressing with these guys over and over? Yes and no. Yeah. Like, similar struggles come up again and again and again, but there are... <laughs> Women have so many thousands of ways to be complicated for men to handle, mm. <laughs> right? So there's, you know, there's usually something new and interesting on the radar. Yeah. What are some of the, the most common, what are some of the most common questions you get? It's going to be a long pause in the audio. That's quite all right. Yeah. Hmm. Or even just common struggles. Is it simply 
guys lack the nerve to go up to a random woman and say, you're gorgeous, hi, I'm X. Is it simply just that? That's one area, yeah. I mean, questions come in various ways, but the question I get asked is very rarely the actual question that's driving the, the situation or driving his motivation. Mm. So when you ask what are the most common questions I get, a lot of the questions are kind of mundane in, mm. in a sense. But if I spend time with a man and, and dig in and find out, like, where is this actually coming from and what is the, the, the real source of tension and, and difficulty in your life with women, mm. there we get a, a different level of question, something that hits much closer to the bone. Mm. So a lot of that stuff is, um, you know, abject fear. Like how can I overcome my fears? Not just to approach women, but to express who I am in a public setting. How can I tell my mum and dad that actually I don't want to, you know, get a job here in Norway. I want to fly to Mexico or Brazil and, and just live life. Or how do I sit in a, in a room full of people and tell everyone, men and women, I love women and I really want to, you know, I want to be a better lover and a great guy and have great women in my life. So it's not just approaching a girl in a coffee shop or a club or something like that. It's how do I actually... Yeah, the deeper layer question is, how can I actually fully present my authentic self to the world? That's fascinating. Like, it goes way beyond being afraid of talking to that beautiful girl in the coffee shop. It's like I'm terrified of actually speaking my truth to the world, to my parents, to my friends, to the barista at the coffee shop, to whoever. And it's an across-the-board question of human development. Hmm. it's you know the way it shows up in our community is it's around women but you know how can I tell my friends back home that you know their conversations don't interest me I want to go and join a spiritual community yeah (laughs) how do I tell the spiritual community that I think everything they're doing is you know it's kind of bullshit and I see the big shadow side of that how can I be authentic in my workplace and tell my overbearing boss that he's destroying his relationships with the people on the team. And that's why the productivity is low. Like all of these are examples of showing up, being authentic and speaking my truth. And so that's the underlying thing. And how can I speak my truth um, in the face of my deep fears of uh, judgment and maybe ridicule and maybe the fear of being abandoned and left behind and vilified and all all the nasty things that come with that. Do you find you get a lot of guys who, again, this is maybe a tough question, but would you say most of your clients have had little to no success with women or they've had some success, but they want more? Everything. Everything. Yeah. yeah. We worked with a ton of divorced men. Mm-hmm. And of course, like, what, what do you define as success, right? Sure. So I've had married men, married men with children, men who have been married twice. And they come out and, and they're like, you know, I feel like a beginner. I'm going to own the fact that I'm a beginner. I don't understand anything about women. And I've really got to start finally on this journey. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, you got married twice. So that's kind of, um, I mean, you've been pretty far down the road. You've felt a lot of things that there is experience in there. Absolutely. And you, I think you said before at, at lunch one day, it's like they almost discount that experience. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah, just reveling in the pain and being like, wow, I thought I, I mean, I was married, but really I was living a lie. Mm. And I was um, putting on a mask every day to try and be nice, try and be the good father, try and be the good provider. 
but really it wasn't me but we've we've also worked with um you know reforming ladies men that have slept with a few hundred women and and are like yeah i kind of manipulated everybody and here's another deeper question that we get as well especially when it comes to love a lot of men um get good with women or become a consummate seducer and even get attached to the idea of being a seducer. You know, I'm a, mm. I'm a ladies man. I'm very good at this. I can go anywhere in the world and get laid within 24 hours. You know, the ego yeah, is just, yeah. <laughs> is just out of extraordinary. And yet if you dive beneath the surface, some of these guys would say things like, um, yeah, actually it, it's kind of crazy because I can, I feel like I can get any woman that I want. And yet I never come close to experiencing love. What's that about? Some of these guys who've been with, say, a few hundred women. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. And, and they'll say things like, well, I just haven't met a good enough woman yet. Or I just haven't gone to, you know, Medellin yet. Or <laughs> whatever the flavor it sure, might be. Medellin. Yeah, so, so they go on kind of consuming women like um, you might consume fast food, but sure. don't actually take in any of the, that nourishment into their bodies or into their hearts. So there, so the, there is a big question. Wow, I've become really good with women, but I'm not falling in love. What's all that about? And then you've got a real deep question about intimacy and your defenses around getting your heart broken and getting hurt and why you, you want to bring women in, but ultimately you, you know, your heart's closed the entire time. So that's a very deep layer of question because you dig into that stuff and it can get very, very fragile. And, and it's something that's happened to me along the way because after a couple of years, of course, with hanging out with people like Zan and these great, you know, seducer types, I became competent at meeting women. And luckily I, um, it's very easy. This sounds kind of weird, but it's very easy for a man to, to hide behind being a good lover of women and then actually never show up. Mm. So I, I can get women in my bed. I can, you know, give you this, 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 be this great guy. But yeah, never actually open himself up and be vulnerable or never put himself in a, in a place where he might not be holding the power in the relationship anymore. Hmm. Yeah, that, that resonates with me. I think I had a period where I was feeling something like that. And uh, yeah, luckily I think I've come out of that, but it wasn't, wasn't easy. Yeah. that's an insidious trap like to 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 get good with women yeah you might never have to look at your your vulnerability yeah absolutely yeah yeah what what's the hardest part of your job would you say I think the hardest part of my job is two things. One is dealing with myself. What do you mean by that? There's a level of expression in my coaching or particularly when it's about creating an artifact, right? This is a piece of writing or this is a course that I want to create my own, to meet my own standards artistically. Because mm -hmm. I actually see myself more as an artist than a coach. It's something I've always suspected but only come to realize just recently um i'm not practically trying 
to help people find solutions to their dating lives again and again and again. Um, I'm happy for no. There's a way that an artist will, will say with this piece, I want to transform culture or open someone more up to love or different kind of questions by creating this art piece. Right. And so there's something about the way we're building a community with Azamarata. Zandan does this with his book. It's a beautiful, it, it, <laughs> it's, it's not a novel. It's not a how-to book. It's, it's not a memoir. It, it, it's got all of those in it. And so we're, we're, we're creating stuff within this community that, that's not a clear how-to. It's not a roadmap for understanding women, but it's a, a hopefully in its greatest expression, it's a culture-transforming piece of art where a man can encounter this stuff and be like, shit, now I see life completely differently. So, you know, there's a lot of videos on YouTube, podcasts and so on, teachings you can go and get to technically improve your skills with women. But the bigger goal for all of us is how can we actually shift an entire worldview? Mm. Skills are going to follow that kind of stuff, right? But we're, we're looking at how, how can a man has been looking at women as... I want to have a relationship because then I won't be lonely anymore. I want to get girls in my bed so that then I've got that feeling of being a winner and I've got something, you know? How can we shift a mindset so fundamentally that he is, like, his heart gets broken open by beauty? Like, he looks into the eyes of a woman and is just, like, enraptured with his appreciation for her. Like, I think this is the way of the true lover. You watch, you watch Don Juan <laughs> in his movie, right? This is, it, it's a completely different thing. So... One difficult thing in my work is actually expressing myself in a way that I'm happy about because mm. there is an artistry that I want to bring more and more into it. Are you a perfectionist? Uh, reforming. Mm. That's good. <laughs> actually, not so much because mm. I, I, I'm willing to put stuff out there that's half-baked and scrappy as well. Mm. But yeah, definitely reforming. But the other, the other hard piece of the work is um, the question, why can some men come along do a two-day workshop and transform their entire lives and other men might take years and years and years before they start getting the kind of real-world results that they want? And so some men, for whatever's transpired in their life, store a lot of trauma, a lot of... Uh, some really, really tricky to work with psychological features, limitations. And so... And is there, I guess you have to ask yourself, is, is, that, is there anything you can do differently? Or is that just simply the baggage that some people bring to the table that, you know, from their past or whatever, that you can't really do anything about? I asked myself that question for a number of years and it's taken me on deeper and deeper trainings. Mm -hmm. You know, like I've done trainings in body work, trauma release, um yeah, looking into psychodynamics, like what is the, 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 you know, what was your relationship with your mum? Sure. That kind of stuff, and really dived into those fields. And at the end of it, I've got a choice. Do I then want to become a therapist so I can help the men who are, have got the most tight tangles around women? Mm -hmm. uh, no, actually, I don't want to be that guy. I'd rather stay in connection with someone and be like, you came to our workshop, you learned some things, you've taken a step forward, and you've got some deeper stuff to go on, I'm still going to be here in Azamarata. And if you need to go and work on that stuff for two or three years and then come back, we're still going to be here. Mm. 
and and I will salute you the entire way as long as you're moving forward on your path and doing that work. But I'm not going to dedicate myself to be to be the therapist to help you out of that. Shall we have a tea break? Totally. there you have it thank you for listening my friends a quick note that if you want to learn more about jordan and his work please go to arsamarada.com or if you can't spell or remember that uh, go to humansinlove.com i'm going to post links to everything we talked about in today's episode and make it really easy for you to connect with arza Murata and to connect with jordan moving forward and also remember that next week next tuesday i'll be releasing Part two of this conversation, which for my money uh, was even more engaging. Jordan was even more engaging and uh, shared some great stories and shared more about his path in the world so far. I really enjoyed it. I hope you stick around next week for part two. Thank you for listening, my friends. I hope you have a tremendous week. Before I let you go, remember that life is short, so never hesitate to acknowledge the beauty that surrounds you. I'll talk to you again very soon. Mm -hmm.